Sarah Barrera, and welcome to the first edition of our 2016 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, 15 Tips from the 8th Annual Class of Responsible Nutrient Management Practitioners, is being brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to get an alert about upcoming episodes when they are released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Thanks to Montag Manufacturing, your fertilizing equipment specialist, for sponsoring today's episode. Offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems, as well as auto steer carts, Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at www.montagmfg.com or call today at 712-852-4574. There's no denying that growers are under intense scrutiny these days for their fertility management practices. But as with any challenge, an opportunity is presented to review what's currently being done and improve on it which is exactly what the three no-tillers who are recognized as the 8th Annual Class of Responsible Nutrient Management Practitioners have accomplished. In this episode, you'll hear from Eric Odberg of Genesee, Idaho, John Cameron of Bainbridge, New York, and Jerry Ackerman of Lakefield, Minnesota, who were judged to be environmentally, economically, and practically responsible with their no-till nutrient management programs. Pulling from their own experiences, Each of them will share their top five techniques that have improved their fertility practices. In today's No-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing, we welcome these responsible nutrient management practitioners to share their 15 valuable ideas for you to consider on your own no-till operation. All right. So we're going to end up starting with Jerry here, number one, and, and your, your first tip is uh, rotating from alfalfa to corn allows you to go one year without applying nitrogen. So if you want to talk a little bit about what you do there. As you've heard, we got 1,200 acres divided up between corn, soybeans, and alfalfa as a cash crop. And uh, we discovered by accident about eight, nine years ago that we could uh, terminate our alfalfa. It actually got terminated in March one year, not by choice. And our agronomist said, uh, no-till corn into it. And I said at that time, well, my planter won't do it, but my neighbor just, uh, of course, got a new one, a John Deere, and he came and no-tilled it and worked fantastic. After that, University of Minnesota was looking for farmers who were rotating out of alfalfa into corn, and I was always concerned, am I shorting myself on end? And they came out and did a study on six farms in Minnesota, and... Uh, Basically, they did rates of 40, 80, 120, 160 pounds. And in our particular field, they basically said, if you put any nitrogen on at all, you wasted your money because that field went 198 bushels dry. So, And as you heard, we kind of use it as a soil builder. Um, most of our farms are running over 4% of organic matter. Uh, he just mentioned at our home farm, we just seeded this last spring. And on a grid sample, that's averaging 5.8% organic matter. So it's been a good tool for us. Yes, we do use a lot of potash and a lot of phosphorus in between time. Uh, but we're seeing benefits for two and three years after 
we rotate out of alfalfa, and that's again why we got into cover crops. All right, our next tip, we're going to go over to John, and uh, your tip here is we, uh, that you reduce nitrogen by 50% with cover crops after corn and uh, with manure at seeding. Yes, we, uh, we strive to apply manure in the fall right after we seed the cover crop, usually within one or two days of seeding the cover crop. Through research that was conducted on our farm and other farms by Cornell University, we came to the conclusion that we can have almost 100 pounds available through the cover crop the following year for our corn. Our ground is usually way too wet in the spring to avoid compaction, which is extremely costly to yields. We strive for maximum rye growth in the springtime and ter terminate only one day prior to plant corn. This gives us a much slower rate of breakdown of the rye residue and keeps our ground covered all the way to the fall. Also, by planting earlier maturity corn hybrids, we're able to give our cover crops a great start. All right, we'll go over to Eric, and, and your first tip here is uh, no-till keeps uh, nutrient bands intact, and it increases organic matter and also reduces your nutrient runoff. Yeah, it seems pretty obvious that no-till would uh, do that, but I just wanted to, to uh, state that. I've been no-tilling for 17 years, and through that time, my organic matter has come up about 1%. I, since I am banding the fertilizer, I have been able to see nutrient bands in the subsequent crops. Um, I call that nutrient band loading. So I'm not disturbing the ground, which no-till, and I'm not disturbing it, and those bands are there for future crops. Also, no-till reduces nutrient runoff. I've been fortunate to be a part of a, a $20.5 million grant with the USDA and ARS and our land-grant universities uh, studying water and nutrient runoff, and we have 10 acres that are in that program. They have 12 monitoring stations on these on this 10 acres. Virtually no nutrient runoff, surface runoff, and through the tile lines, on a dry year, almost hardly anything comes out, and on a wet year, maybe uh, 14 or 15 pounds is lost in the tile lines. Okay, we're going to bring it back over to Jerry for his second tip. Uh, he says, we use a controlled-release nitrogen and phosphorus enhancer to protect nutrients. Uh, that's correct. We've, we've done strip tilling for about 15 years where I'm at. Uh, in fact, Jerry Perkins up there has been doing tried no-till for 30 years. And we have really heavy, wet, mucky soils. And he admitted, he said, I struggled with no-till until we started strip tilling down our P&K in the fall. And... Typically, as this picture will see, uh, I hire it done from our local co-op. We run about uh, seven strip-till machines within our neighborhood. And of course, I did such a good job selling this to my neighbors and everything, they got so swamped this year, they didn't get my strip-tilling done. <laughs> Luckily, four of the neighbors that have strip-till machines said, don't worry, uh, we'll get you done. Originally, we started, we actually used anhydrous in a strip too. And as we had some dry years, and I just thought, man, I don't know. Uh, we've kind of got away from that. We went to, uh, we do put a little bit of end down in the furrow, and of course we do use 1034-0 starter, and, and then we side dress. Although after being at these meetings, maybe we should cut back our side dress and come with this wide drop a little bit later to spread out our nitrogen. That may be a new project in the future. And also, as we've gotten along here now, well, the machines are getting more sophisticated. Now we even have variable rate fertilizing in our strips. 
Real good, Jerry. I like, I like the fact that your thinking is being challenged and you're getting some ideas, so that's great. Uh, tip number five, and we're going to go back to John. Uh, soil test every two years. Apply lime regularly in small amounts to keep pH levels constant. Yes, uh, we apply lime on nearly every acre every other year according to soil test. Many, many times as little as half a ton per acre. This has helped us to maintain a recommended pH throughout the whole entire root zone. Also, by testing our soil bi-yearly, we're able to observe minor changes in nutrients to avoid over or under-applying any nutrients and to avoid surpluses. Also, we now apply our lime ourselves and are very fortunate to have a reasonable supply available at a very inexpensive price. We strive to keep pH levels at 6.6 to 7.0 on all our fields, regardless of the crops being grown. And I must add that the natural pH of our soil types is 5.2 to 5.3. Thank you. All right, back to Eric. Uh, we've got here variable rate fertility works and has value with the right fertilizer system and controller. Yes, I have an, uh, an Xactrix fertilizer system on my drill and that has uh, produces high pressure uh, liquid anhydrous and is injected with uh, thiosulfate and liquid uh, phosphate. The thiosulfate stabilizes the nitrogen uh, when it is injected with it, <clears throat> but it has a very even application of the nitrogen across the drill. And um, because of that even application, I'm able to reduce my um, end rates by 20 pounds right off the, right off the bat. Um, the controller I have is a Trimble FMX, and it's able to uh, vary up to five products. Uh, so I vary my ammonia and thiosulfate in the deep band, and I also vary my starter fertilizer. Um, they go with the starter and the deep band go in opposite directions uh, when I'm varying them. All right, tip number seven. We're going to come back to Jerry. And yours is uh, provide corn an at-plant boost with 1034-0 uh, starter, zinc, and a plant growth regulator. We have an older John Deere 7000 planter. But over the years, as we've gone along, we've updated it. Um, we do have the down pressure, of course, the vacuum, and now the electric drives, and, uh, and also we're using auto steer. And I'm a firm believer in a starter fertilizer, um, especially in furrow. And maybe that's because we're using the cover crop, and I've heard different ones say here, well, if you're going into rye, you better have a little starter in there. Uh, again, uh, we're using the zinc at that, and of course, we're doing all variable rate on our seeding now, too. So, it's, uh, everything seems to be working great. I really like those electric drives, for especially when you have point rows and your variable rate. Okay, tip number eight, back to John. Uh, keep your ground covered year-round to eliminate the runoff of nutrients. Yeah. In the, in the 1980s and in the 1990s, we were planting corn into headed-out cereal rye, and being, we're very happy, but universities told us, oh, you're sacrificing yields because of the high carbon to nitrogen ratio. So from the years 2000 to 2009, we were terminating cereal rye three weeks before planting. But we were not happy because we were seeing bare ground by midsummer. I've learned from coming to these no-tilled conferences, this being my seventh, that corn can be grown very successfully into tall cereal rye, which allows us to keep our ground covered into September. 
We are, this year we currently averaged over 200 bushel per acre, 60 bushels over the county average. Our rye is all terminated now one to two days prior to planting with Gramoxone. This past year we had also planted into green living cereal rye which was sprayed after emergence and that also yielded over 200 bushels. We are now planting earlier maturing hybrids which makes us to allow our earlier start for our cereal rye. Our silage corn typically is 82 to 90 day corn and our valley land is 98 day corn. This year we were very fortunate to finish our grain harvest on October 10th at 16% moisture. Okay, tip number nine from Eric. Uh, use less fertilizer with banding, starter, and better timing of nutrients and liming. Yes, I already kind of went into the banding part of my um, operation, but I'd like to explain a little bit more about the starter. Um, usual application is about 13 and a half pounds of N, 27 and a half pounds of phosphate. 10% of that is, is orthophosphate to really get a quick start on the crop. Two pounds of zinc and uh, humic acid. I also, I'm glad that there's a lot of emphasis on humic acid here. Uh, in fact, I ran to a, one of the salesmen in the hallway and I told him how much I liked the product and he says, and I, I like it so much I'd want to just put it on my cereal and he goes, well, I do. I eat the stuff, I take a teaspoon a day and, and so I might try that when I go home. Um, <laughs> But I also tissue test later in the season and see what's, what's going on there. A lot of times I'll have a deficiency in magnesium or boron, and so I address that accordingly. Um, usually I have about, apply seven pounds of N, quarter of magnesium, and, and humic acid with that as well. Also, I'm a big believer in liming. Um, we have similar pH as uh, John there, about 5'2", and... And so uh, liming program has really brought things up and made things uh, work on all cylinders. We'll rejoin the panel, but I wanted to take a moment and again thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for making this program possible. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist, offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems, as well as auto steer carts, Montag's Precision Fertilizer Placement Solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at www.montagmfg.com or call today at 712-852-4574. We've heard three tips from each of the no-tillers so far, and one thing that stood out to me are some of the techniques we've heard for capturing and recycling nutrients. We heard from Jerry Ackerman in the very beginning about how he would have been wasting his money if he put any nitrogen on his corn-following alfalfa and that he's seen benefits from alfalfa for two to three years after the crop has been rotated out of. We also heard from John Cameron on how applying manure within one to two days of seeding his fall cover crop provides 100 pounds of available nitrogen to the following corn crop, effectively cutting his nitrogen needs in half. Let's get back to the program and hear the final two fertility management tips from all three growers. All right, tip number 10, we'll go back to Jerry. Uh, side dress 32% to round out your nitrogen while making post-herbicide applications. 
Uh, yeah, we, as I said earlier, we had previously done anhydrous, putting it all on the fall, and of course we found splitting up our applications has seemed to boost our yields a little bit while cutting back. Um, we actually, yes, try to get our 32% on about V4 to V6 in there. Uh, after being at some of these meetings, I think maybe we should cut back a little bit at that time and maybe try and come in a, a little bit later at tasseling and so forth. So. Go to tip number 11 from John, and that's uh, use custom haulers to spread manure quickly in a timely manner over large acreage. In our dairy operation, in order to, to get the most return out of our manure, we are very fortunate to be able to work with a cu couple of different manure haulers. We, we utilize a liquid storage earthen dam facility on our farm, which has capacity to storage for 10 months. My preferred time to spread manure is at the time of cover crop establishment after corn or after fourth cutting on hay ground. It has been proven that growing cover crops, even cereal rye, can store and release end the following year. Our fields are usually very dry in the fall and easy to drive on. We can spread between 40 to 50 acres a day as far away as five miles from our home farm. We are very happy with our levels in P and K on all our fields, and at this point, very, very little is needed to be purchased. On occasion, we will apply manure in the springtime if the soils are dry enough to avoid compaction. Okay, Eric, with tip number 12, uh, use, your, uh, use those yield maps and infrared imagery to make fertilizer application maps uh, versus uh, doing grid sampling. Yes, when I uh, purchased my Xactrix uh, in 2005, owner of Zactrix, uh, Guy Swanson, said, well, you know, you really should try uh, variable rate uh, with the hills that we have. And we have clay, clay on our hilltops and real deep topsoil and draw bottoms. And and uh, year after that, I enrolled in the CSP program and uh, volunteered for the uh, nutrient management enhancement with that. And so I got my first yield monitor. And when I was running that during harvest and I found out that he was right, it was our hilltops are only yielding about 50 bushel and our draw bottoms 150 bushel. And I've been just fertilizing it the same all the way across the field and thinking I was just getting 100 bushel wheat. So it, it just became very clear to me that that's what I needed to do and started making maps uh, uh, off of yield maps. And then later on came infrared imagery and it looked very similar and it's a good way to fill in the holes and I do soil tests, but I just don't see the need to go out there and spend a bunch of money over the whole field when the yield maps and infrared imagery show, the, show it. All right, tip number 13, back to Jerry. His final one is uh, interseed cover crop after side dress to produce 200 bushel corn with 140 pounds of nitrogen. Yeah, uh, this here, the pictures you see there is actually from this year. We actually started this in 2014. You know, I go to all these conferences, and I met Ray Archuleta, and he got me all pumped up about it. Now I've listened to Mr. Calmer there. I think I'll probably change a few things, too. I really like this system. Sometimes our, our side dress goes right before we seed this, sometimes right after. Uh, we're actually using, on this field, and uh, all our corn this year, was a half rate of harness put down with Roundup for a burn down. We do use all Liberty corn. At the time we switched a few years ago, we only had two varieties of soybeans that were Liberty, so we decided to go with corn. Uh, boy, you clean that up and get that cover started, and there is no weed, weed, uh, weed problem at all. 
The other thing that's amazing is the amount of water infiltration. Uh, actually, a gentleman that bought this Pennsylvania drill, he's a little braver than I am. This year, since he was doing mine, he just bought it, hadn't even done it. And I said, well, you want to try it out on me? Oh, sure, he said. So he came over. Well, he ordered seed, and this guy has never done no-till. He bought this drill. He's going strip-till on his corn and no-till soybeans, and he's going into wheat. Um, he actually did the same mix that I did, but he has really steep hills on his farm. And he got seven inches of rain in a day and a half. And he actually showed pictures where it cut out the road ditch where normally all the water came off of that field. And he said he did not have one drop of water run off of that field. It all went in. So I think we're going to be using these not only for weed control, but also for storing water. Okay, tip number 14 to John. Uh, resist the urge to overapply nitrogen on your least productive acres to be more profitable. We, we all like to think that we farm for fun, but unfortunately we all have to have a profit at some point. So on our farm, we never apply more than 30 pounds of nitrogen at planting time, which is in a two-by-two -two band with our planter. Then we calculate all our end credits from manure, rye cover crop, previous sod hay fields, take into consideration soil types, the drainage, and what we think a field should yield. On a typical year, we are applying less than half a pound of added N per bushel of corn of our, yield, our corn yield. Most of our fields have the potential to make between 175 and 250 bushels an acre. We typically top dress corn at V6 stage with a stabilized protected urea product. We are not keen in resurrecting acres that have lost most of their potential, such as this photo of flooded bottom ground due to leaching, denitrification, and vaporization. In the case, this field was determined that the best rate of nitrogen was just to add zero. I should add that now a large portion of our farm is no longer planted to row crops, but is in commercial hay production, grass hay production, and it will never long, no longer be planted in the row crops. All right, and tip number 15, we go back to Eric. Uh, lower yields are a direct result of less water holding capacity, thus we use less nitrogen. I'd like to add there, uh, water holding capacity and organic matter. Um, those hilltops, I'm talking about high clay content, and so the, also the organic matter is much lower than our, than our draw bottoms. And this just correlates exactly uh, with the yield and uh, infrared maps that you see there. That is that test area I was telling you about that I'm involved with, with um, USDA and our land-grant universities, and you can see the drying patterns there in that, in that U, and that's the lower yielding areas, and it, then I have the, I apply less fertilizer there, and in the darker areas, it's deeper soil, higher organic matter, apply more fertilizer in those areas. And there you have the 15 fertility tips from the 8th Annual Class of Responsible Nutrient Management Practitioners. We're going to go to some questions the audience at the 2016 National No-Tillage Conference had for the practitioners, but before we do, I'd like to take a minute to talk about the upcoming 2017 National No-Tillage Conference, which will be held in St. Louis on January 10th through the 13th. Featuring top experts with worldwide experience, 
This special 25th anniversary event includes more than 100 money-making sessions and unlimited networking with the best of the no-till community. Register today for a discounted rate of $319 at www.notillconference.com. Now let's return to the program and listen to the final pieces of advice from the practitioners. Uh, Jerry, I'd love to hear more about the interseeding. Um, what are you planting and what do you do in the end rows and you know, just more about that process? Okay, actually, uh, we, of course, like I said, the alfalfa, we'd see the effects for two and three and four years after the alfalfa, and I always thought, well, that'd be great. Maybe the cover crops will give me a little boost in between. And uh, visited with Ray Archuleta about it and stuff, and he, I talked to my agronomist. Uh, Ames had done some things and said, well, maybe it hurts you about two bushel an acre. Actually, when we did it in 2014, there were four farmers that did strips clear across the field and of course our local extension wanted involved with it university of minnesota risk management agency because they all wanted this data we actually gained five bushel an acre uh, now this year we seeded 12 pounds of annual rye two pounds of medium red clover uh, we had a pound of turnips in there and a pound of rape uh, probably next year i might up my medium red clover because in our area very rarely do we get annual ryegrass to survive the winter? Now maybe this year, since we planted it earlier, a lot more root growth, we might get some to survive. Um, and again, what I'm seeing is good weed control, but even after I was done combining, and we had one particular field, um, we took 192 or three bushel off of that on the end rows, and I thought, well, there's no cover crop left. I mean, that's a lot of semi-loads of grain out of that field. Uh, we come back about 10 days after combine, and it was kind of re you know, kind of green already. And then it started raining while I was waiting for my strip tail machine to show up that day. And of course, on Friday morning, we got a two-inch rain in about an hour and a half. And I'm driving home from Lakefield, and I'm looking around. Some of these guys have these big disc rippers and stuff. I already got their end rows all done, and I'm looking at water standing, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's where all the semis were and everything. Then I happened to drive by this field, and I thought, you know, it's been six inches of rain now within eight or nine days. And we just had this hard two-inch rain. There was no water standing on that end row. So I started driving around to all my farms. I thought, well, where's the truck set? That's usually where the compaction is that I'm always worried about. None of our farms had any water standing. And that's what's impressive. Jerry, you made a comment about uh, putting 1034 in the furrow. How many gallons are you doing that? Are you diluting that? And what are you positioning that in the furrow? Um, actually, we used to use about eight gallons per acre. Uh, of course, starter fertilizers went up over the last few years. We actually cut that back to five gallons now. And no, we do not dilute it. It's actually below the seed. Um, I know some people say, oh, you got to worry about burning it or something like that. We'd never have had that problem. Um, and I guess now, since we started, yes, we do put some down in the strip when we, we do our strip till. We're using ESN on that just to try and prevent anything from getting away from us. But we've had a couple of springs that's been pretty doggone wet. And uh, then all of a sudden, you can't get in when you want. Uh, you get it planted. Maybe you don't get back into where you want, so you're maybe a little late on your side dress. 
having that little extra N in the strip when you plant, plus a little below it in the strip there P and K is, seems to make a real difference. And again, I'm not a, opposed to changing. I mean, if it helps to cut back a little bit on my side dress around the V4 to V6, maybe put on a little more tasseling, I'm going to try it. Maybe I can cut back another 20 pounds an acre and still get my 200 bush corn. Uh, this isn't directed at a single person, but I'm wondering how you um, make a decision on how much nitrogen you're going to get from a cover crop in the spring, depending on variety. Well, Cornell had done a pro uh, research project, and we were part of the research project where they did nitrogen trials on 63 different farms, which were nitrogen trials, repetitive plots, and they were doing it for forage, and we'd always thought we'd gotten quite a lot of response out of that, but if, it, if rye was manured in the fall, that it didn't even respond to any nitrogen at all for growth in the spring, so we, we'd long thought that we could get a lot of nitrogen out of it, but we kind of figured it was 75 to 100 pounds, and we had gone from there, and uh, we never saw a deficiency of nitrogen by using the half a pound uh, added per bushel of corn. So we always calculated on a good rye crop, which had a good manure application in the fall, to be at 100. And we've, we've done uh, pre-side dress nitrogen tests and some stock nitrogen tests in the fall, and everything's come back that it's been adequate. So we've gone with that and uh, been very happy with that. So. Thank you to Eric, John, and Jerry for sharing their experiences and the lessons they've learned in their pursuit to make their nutrient management program the best it can be, while also becoming better stewards of the environment. For those listeners who would like to learn more about each of their operations and fertility programs, please visit notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. At this time, we're also accepting nominations for the ninth Annual Class of Responsible Nutrient Management Practitioners, to be honored at the 25th Annual National No-Tillage Conference, which will be held in St. Louis on January 10th through the 13th. If you know a no-tiller who has an environmentally, economically, and practically responsible approach to fertility, visit rnmf.org to submit an application. Self-nominations are also accepted. The deadline to submit a nomination is October 31st, 2016. One thing I took away from today's program is that there are many ways to create a responsible nutrient management program, and what works for one grower may or may not work for you. But despite their different locations, challenges, and practices, the one thing all three no-tillers had in common was the willingness to adjust their management, try new things, and continue learning and improving. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's episode, and feel free to drop me an email at lbarrera at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2404. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider and dryland no-tiller e-newsletters, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at no-till farmer, with farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R, -R, and on our no-till farmer Facebook page. 
For the responsible nutrient management practitioners, Montag Manufacturing, and our entire staff at No-Till Farmer on Lara Barrera, thanks for listening. Thank you.